The New Testament reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 24 to 43. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then what do you want us then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat among them, along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first, and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the, is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them away into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. The word of the Lord. Hello. Can you all hear me well? I think it's on. Well, thank you for inviting me here. It's wonderful to be here this morning. It was, so I drove about three hours from Chicago yesterday, and we drove through a snowstorm, actually. Um, we went through a snowstorm for about 30 minutes, and after, all, after it was all done, it was Iowa. And this is my first time in Iowa, so really, once again, thank you for giving me this opportunity. And it's really wonderful to be here. Um, the sanctuary is really beautiful. I haven't been to one like this for a while, so it's really good to be here. And I, I believe that the people here are even more beautiful than the sanctuary itself. And I can, I can attest to that because uh, your pastor, Will Bankston, hosted me yesterday. Me and my family, very wonderful. And yeah, all of those are really, you know, I really appreciate all these things that the church, One Ancient Hope, has done for me and my family here. And just going through this and thinking through what um, 
we experienced yesterday and now this morning, and looking at the sanctuary, looking at the people here. I'm glad to have made the decision to come here because this is, I think, a live illustration of the message that I wish to deliver to you today. It's a sneak preview of the coming kingdom of heaven where Jesus Christ rules with absolute sovereignty, beauty, and excellence. So this will be the theme for today, and I hope to make it clear what the kingdom of heaven is like and why that is important for our lives today as Christians. So the kingdom of heaven, I believe you've been walking through the book of Matthew for a while, and it's a central theme there. I actually counted the number of times the phrase kingdom of heaven appears in this book, and it appears at least 32 times. And if you include similar phrases like kingdom of Jesus or kingdom of the Father, I think the total goes up to 38. So it's pretty important if someone says a phrase 38 times in a, a short book like the Gospel of Matthew, we better pay attention to it. So I could spend a lot of time explaining this based on scripture, but summarizing all, uh, the kingdom of heaven in the Gospel of Matthew, its kernel is, the central idea is the sovereignty of God, the rule of God that he has over all creation. So keep that in mind because that will be very important for us to understand Matthew chapter 13. So the kingdom of God equals the sovereignty of God, and there is a bit more to it. It has been inaugurated with the first coming of Jesus Christ in his incarnation. We know that to be about taking place about 2,000 years ago, and it is in a process of being completed, and it will be completed when Jesus comes back for the second time. And in the passage that we read for today, Jesus himself is explaining to us what this kingdom of heaven is like and why it should be very important for us. And he uses three parables to explain it. The parable of weeds, the parable of the mustard seed, and the parable of the leaven. Very briefly, uh, let me just summarize each of the three parables. The parable of weeds show that the people of God and the people against God are intermingled at the present and will be so until the day of harvest when Jesus Christ comes back to us. The parable of the mustard seed emphasizes a different aspect of the kingdom of heaven. It emphasizes the gradual progression through which this kingdom of heaven comes to the earth and is fulfilled. And the parable of leaven sounds similar, but it also has a different emphasis. It is pointing us to the fact that the kingdom of heaven, when it first came with Jesus Christ, it was almost invisible, insignificant, imperceptible, because when you hide, and that's the, text that, uh, that's the word that the text uses, when you hide, leaven into three measures of flour, you don't see it, but it will one day spread out through the whole earth, and that is another aspect that we need to keep in mind as we think about the kingdom of heaven in the Gospel of Matthew. So each of these parables are giving us a, a slightly different picture of this one thing that we call the kingdom of heaven, but there is one common thread, one common idea that goes through all three, and this is the idea that the kingdom of heaven takes time. It takes time. And there is a past, present, and future to the kingdom of heaven 
And what God calls us to in our scripture today is for us to align our lives and position our lives in this timeline of the kingdom of heaven. So uh, let's begin with the past, what happened in, in the past when the kingdom of heaven first came. So when Jesus Christ first came to us, he took on flesh and he came to us in Bethlehem. And when he did, he brought with him his kingdom. And that marks the beginning of the kingdom of heaven. And as you may have noticed from the Bible, this kingdom was quite different from other kinds of kingdom that were present at this day and probably any kind of kingdom you can imagine today too. Because the Bible doesn't say Jesus rode on war horses wielding swords and spears and commanding servants uh, to, to wage a war. That's not what the Bible says. Instead, we see from the Bible that Jesus is riding on a donkey. He's a humble person. And instead of commanding his servants, he washes the feet of his servants. So the idea of kingdom that Jesus brings with him is very strange. It's foreign. And it is understandable that the teachers of law and the rest of the Israelites were confused because they were expecting someone like King David to come and wage war against the Romans and finally bring glory back to Israel. But that is not what Jesus did. And so people were rightly confused and some were outspokenly angry. And you all know what happened because of that. They instigated the people of Israel to crucify Jesus Christ. And that seemed like the kingdom of heaven was done for. But here's where we see that God can be quite ironic at times because it is through this very crucifixion where people thought the kingdom of heaven was over that Jesus won the salvation for his people, us the believers. And he overcame the power of death by rising from the dead in three days. And with this victory, the kingdom of heaven was established and it has found a secure footing in this world. So ironically, People thought they were dealing away with Jesus, but that very action allowed the kingdom of heaven to be established here. So that is the past fact upon which our faith stands. So we need to make sure that we keep this in our hearts. And the three parables, each on its own, explain to us that the kingdom of heaven is a past established fact. So consider the parable of the weed. It illustrates this truth when it explains that the good seed that Jesus sows has already been sown. If you look at verses 70, 37 and 38, Jesus says, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man, the field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. So when Jesus gathered his disciples at the end of the gospel story, and when he commissioned them, to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth, we know that the kingdom of heaven has already begun. It is here already. And the same truth is very clear from the other two parables as well. The mustard seed has already been planted and the leaven has already been hidden in three measures of flour. So we see from the three parables that from Jesus' point of view, the kingdom of heaven is already here. It has been growing for the past 2,000 years. So this brings us to um, the present reality, because we have the past established fact, 
which continues to today. So the kingdom of heaven is a present reality. The church remains a living witness to this kingdom. But there is a certain form to this reality because it's one thing to know that the kingdom of heaven is here. It's another thing to actually describe what kind of kingdom is persisting in our world. And the three, par the three parables are saying that the kingdom of heaven that we have right now is in the process of completion. It is not yet complete. And this means that there will be things in this world that do not subject itself to the rule of Christ. And this is pretty clear from the three parables once again. If you look in the parable of the weeds, the field, which is the world, is where Jesus sowed the good seeds. But the field is invaded by the enemy overnight, and the enemy sows weeds among the good seeds. And because of that, our present reality is a mixture of good and evil. The same idea is conveyed by the other two parables as well, because if you look at the parable of the mustard seed, you see that the transformation from the mustard seed to a full-grown tree is not instantaneous. It takes time. Probably it has to weather the seasons. It has to survive year after year. And we never know when it's going to get to that point where the seed is finally a tree big enough to nest and house the birds of the air. Same thing with the parable of the leaven. The leaven hidden in three measures of flour doesn't automatically mix itself up. Uh, you gotta mix it. If it's a dough, you gotta knead it, and it takes time, energy, and effort to do it. It's not easy, and it's not automatic. So this is the present reality of the kingdom of heaven that we are currently living through. Consequently, our lives as Christians are somewhat paradoxical. We confess the reign of Christ in our lives, on the one hand, but we still have to face the reality of sin and evil. So there's a paradox, because the kingdom of God is already here, and the reign of Christ is ruling in our lives. But at the same time, the kingdom of heaven is not quite completely here, and so we have to face the reality of sin and corruption. So much of the challenges and frustrations that we go through in our daily lives can be explained by this dynamic of the kingdom of heaven. So I'm pretty sure we all go through our own difficulties and sufferings in life. Let me just give you some examples. And when, when wars happen, as it is right now, and countless innocent people lose their lives and loved ones, or um, when, you know, and I'm a, I've been married for three years, so this applies to me. When, when a newlywed couple, you know, we try to find a house, and then we are saving up money, and then the economy crashes, and uh, uh, our dreams of finding our house is gone. Um, that's suffering. Um, what about when a, a piece of a family is suddenly disturbed with the news of a cancer in a loved one? What about a case where a lifelong friend departs from me because we have political conflicts. These are just down-to-earth real examples of pain and suffering that we do face, which would not be the case if Jesus' reign was absolute today. And many are led, because of this reality, to ask and question 
whether God really exists. And if they think God exists, the next question is, does God really care? The problem of evil, it poses a serious threat to the faith of many, many Christians. And the Bible doesn't completely explain everything to us, but at least there are some things we can know from the parables. Though we cannot explain all the evils in this world, we can at least affirm that these things are to be expected, at least on this side of the heaven. So throughout all this suffering and pain, we can be certain of one thing, that we are already under the kingdom of heaven. We are, despite the fact that there is the, the reality of suffering and pain, we can confess that we belong already to the kingdom of heaven. And we read our Old Testament scripture from the book of Job, and that exp explains what I'm trying to say here, because when Job suffered through unspeakable horrors of losing all his possession and all of his children and being abandoned by his one and only wife, he demanded an explanation. He wanted God to come out and tell him what he did wrong to deserve all this. But as you've seen from our reading today, this explanation is not granted to Job. Instead, he had his sight recalibrated, redirected. Instead of looking at himself and his situation, God leads Job and lifts up his eyes to look at all of creation and beyond that to the God who stands above all creation. Job, ha Job has to face God who is above all and who reigns absolute over all creation. And that is God's answer to all of Job's suffering. And similarly, that is God's answer to all of our sufferings today. Because the parables, they don't explain why particular pain and sufferings happen. But instead, what they do is they redirect our gaze so that we are not bent inwards into ourselves, but instead we lift our, our heads and look at God who reigns supreme and who has, who has our lives under his command. We are safe and secure in his hands already. And that is the reason why we can persevere through all the difficulties and pains we face today. This gives us hope because though we may not understand all the things that happen in our lives, we can find an irresistible peace that comes down to us from above by resting our faith in Jesus Christ, who has already established his kingdom on here on earth. So that is our hope, but that is only half of our hope because there is even a better cause to hope, and that is our faith in the future coming of the kingdom of heaven. So yes, the good seed is planted among the bad ones, but thankfully it won't be like that for too long. And the mustard seed does grow, but it will one day reach its completion. And so the same thing with the leaven, because the flour mix, though you're hiding just a small measure of leaven in that, it will one day be spread out throughout the whole dough. So Christianity, let me tell you, is not merely faith in what Jesus Christ has done in the past, 
but it is also at the same time as much a faith in what Jesus Christ promises to do for us in the future. So yes, our faith is founded in historical fact of the past, but at the same time, our faith is founded in our hope in future, a future that has been promised, a future that is certain, though we don't know when it will come. So Christianity covers all of time, past, present, and future. This is uh, what Jesus means when he explains the parables in verses 37 to 42. Let me just read to you those verses. This is Jesus speaking. The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is at the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And herein is the foundation of our hope, the object of our faith, the future coming of Jesus Christ. And when he comes, he will bring full completion of his redeeming work by completing his kingdom of heaven on here on earth. And when that day comes, Jesus will finally wipe away all the tears from our eyes and comfort our body and soul with his warm embrace, saying, you have done a good job. And on that day, Christ will clothe us with righteousness and we will stand in glory. With him we will stand and we the righteous, as the scripture readings say today, we the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father in heaven. This, friends, is our hope, and this is our future foundation of our present faith. So orienting ourselves properly to this past, present, future reality of this kingdom of heaven has very significant applications for how we ought to conduct our lives today and how we ought to navigate through our life as Christians. So I'll just leave you with three points of application. And I think the three parables give us slightly different views on this kingdom so that they give us three different useful applications for us. So consider first the kingdom of heaven as explained through the parable of the weed. Here, we see that Jesus Christ is waiting. We see Jesus Christ is waiting for something to happen, and he's waiting for the good seed to grow. In other words, Jesus Christ is waiting for us. Now, um, some of you may be farmers here. I don't know how many. I haven't farmed, actually, but my grandfather farms a lot. And um, when he sows seeds, he makes sure to plant good seeds. And when uh, harvest day comes, he goes to the field expecting grain, not seeds. Right? When we sow seed, we are not sowing seed so that when harvest day comes, we'll just bring back the seeds back to our bags. No. Jesus Christ sowed those good seeds so the seeds will grow and mature into wheat. 
And the wheat is what Jesus will be harvesting through his angels. This gives texture to how we live our Christian lives. Because believing in Jesus Christ is not merely about getting saved and getting to heaven. That is very crucial, but you're missing everything in between. Equally essential is the sanctifying journey that spans our initial justification and our ultimate glorification. There's a journey and there's a growth. It takes time. And there is a reason why our Christian lives have history and the reason why Jesus doesn't save us and then instantaneously just bring us to heaven because we are like seeds. The good seeds are to be grown into wheat. And that is what Jesus is waiting for. And there's one more point of observation because the good seeds are planted in the field and the field, according to Jesus, is the world. So we got the seeds planted in this world and alongside them are the weeds. That means if we spend all of our Christian lives separated from the rest of the world, if we isolate ourselves 100% to church and Christian communities only, we are not actually living out our identity as the good seeds which Jesus has sown in the world. There is a place for Christian communities. There is a place for us to gather together and worship together, but equally essential is our lives out there, witnessing to Christ, living for Christ, not just in front of other Christians, but actually among non-Christians. And that is part of our calling as Christians, and that should give definition to how we live our lives today. So after all this, when the harvest day finally comes, Jesus will come looking not for the seeds, but he'll be coming looking for the wheat. And this illumines one of the most fundamental principles of our lives identified as Christians. And this is what Paul confesses in Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 to 22. Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Our lives in the flesh is not just a waiting area. We are not waiting for Jesus to come and not doing anything. We are actually seeds that are growing every day, that God is expecting to grow every day because he has already planted us in a good field and he's waiting for us to mature. That is one of the reasons why the kingdom of heaven is still coming. Jesus Christ is waiting for all the good seeds to finally mature. This brings us to the second point. The second parable is the parable of the mustard seed. And um, maybe I can illustrate it like this. If you go online in my social uh, network, I, get, I sometimes get feeds of this um, time-lapse videos. Do you know what those are? Like they, they videotape like a, a plant over months and over years, and then they compress it to a matter of seconds so that when you play it, you actually see the plant. You, know, it, you got the seed in it. It sprouts and it grows and it bears fruit. And you can see that actively happening before your eyes. I, I, I like them. Um, you should check it out if you don't, haven't seen any one of those before. But uh, those timeless videos are helpful because it helps us remember that the plants are actually alive. But apart from that, in our common perception, 
we usually don't notice plants growing. Um, I guess we can sort of see maybe sunflowers moving their heads following the sun if you sit long enough and just stare at the sunflower for hours. But um, not many people have time for that. So we have timeless videos for that. But the point is, the seed that is sown that grows into a big tree, big enough for the birds of the air to find nest in, it takes a very long time. And that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. And that's what our lives as citizens in this kingdom is like. We should guard our hearts against, our, against the false belief that God's presence is only found when there are exciting things happening, like when there are new converts, when there are new baptisms being given, when children perform Christmas presentation, or when the church goes on to a retreat. Yes, God's presence is there, but those exciting moments are not the only moments when God is fully present. Actually, God is equally present in the mundane, ordinary lives of Christians. God's presence is equally there in the daily hours of scripture reading and meditation, in the, in the hours when you spend time praying to God each morning, every night before meals, in the weekly gatherings like this morning when, you know, you're not really expecting something big to happen other than the fact that I'm here, right? <laughs> that's, that's a joke, right? Weekly services where nothing super exciting is happening is equally important because that is very much part of the process through which the seed becomes a tree. A seed cannot become a tree without going through that process. So it's actually essential. Our mundane routine as Christians is an essential part of the kingdom of heaven. So don't be discouraged if your life is not as exciting as the lives of someone sitting next to you because the level of excitement is not the point. The point is to see that God is always there. That even in times when we don't feel like God is there, God is still there. That is the faith that we confess. And this, I believe, brings us to the third and final point of application. Let's bring our attention to the third parable, the parable of the leaven. So this is what Jesus says in verse 33. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Notice that the leaven was uh, he didn't say the leaven was added. He said the leaven was hid. And I, I double-checked my sources just to make sure this point is correct. The Greek word is encrypto, which sounds a lot like the English word encryption, and that is actually the same root. And the idea of, is there that the woman not just adds the leaven to the flour mix. No, the woman hides it. And that means... In the, in the beginning, initially, you don't see it. And the leaven doesn't have its effects spread out through the whole mix yet. However, it won't be like that for too long. And our Christian lives and the kingdom of heaven is very similar to this. The small things that we do in our lives as Christians, you know, we don't think they matter too much. When, for example, I'm a student, so let me give you an example for a student. Uh, if a student decides not to cheat 
when there is when it's so easy to cheat, um, and a student de decides not to cheat out of his love and respect for God, because God tells us not to lie, right? When when a student decides not to cheat like that, or when when a friend <laughs> decides to forgive another friend when that friend doesn't seem to even realize what he did wrong, right? That makes us even more angry. But when you decide to forgive someone because you've already been forgiven by Christ. Forgive as our sins have been forgiven, right? Or even more something one day. Maybe when we decide not to litter the ground with our sandwich wrapper and hold on to it till we find the trash can because we should be good stewards of creation. Those small little things that we do because we are Christians, they don't seem to matter too much in the end, but that's not what the parable is saying. The small things that are hidden, the small things that the woman hid, the, the leaven that was hid in three measures of flour, they seem so insignificant and invisible and imperceptible, but in the fullness of time, that will inaugurate the kingdom of heaven across all the earth. The fullness of time, when it comes, the kingdom of God will fill the entire world and the earth will be filled with God's glory. And we as members of this heavenly kingdom, we as the citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we participate in this by going through the mundane things, the routine things of our lives, doing the small things that we do because we are Christians, and those are essential and important aspects of Jesus Christ bringing his kingdom in fullness on earth. So we are involved in something that's very exciting at every moment of our lives. The kingdom of God is infused into every aspect of our lives, and it fills everything in our lives with meaning, hope, and joy. So we persevere. We persevere in our faith because we know that the kingdom of heaven has already begun. And we persevere in our faith because we know that the kingdom of heaven is a present reality. And we persevere in our faith because we know that the kingdom of heaven will come. The unfortunate thing is, and let me end you end the message with this, not everyone knows this. And not everyone who knows this believes this. The gospel message of the kingdom of heaven is a gift that not everyone is receptive to. The message is very clear. It's clear as day for those of us who truly believe in Jesus Christ. But the message is hidden. It's hidden like darkness for those, of, for those people who refuse to receive Christ. Jesus spoke in parables according to the Bible, according to our passage actually, for two reasons. In verse 35, Jesus says, he spoke in parables so that what was hidden since the foundations of the world will be revealed. And then he goes on in verse 43 to give us the second reason, which is to unveil the truth to those who have ears to hear. And that is important. Because this, for Christians, means two things. First, Jesus Christ gifted us with this truth so that we can penetrate through the surface and realize what's really 
going on. On the surface, our lives as Christians look insignificant. It looks boring, and it looks like it's meaningless. But this truth has been given to us in parable so that what was hidden from the foundation is now revealed to us. We now know that we cannot be deceived by what's on the surface. Underneath that is the reality that our everyday lives as Christians is a very significant part of the kingdom of heaven. And importantly, second, the parable means to us that Jesus gifted us even with the ears to hear. So when we receive this gospel message of the kingdom of heaven, the very fact that we receive it, and the very fact that we hear and understand what Jesus is saying through these parables is a gift. We are not understanding this and receiving this as our message because we're smart. No. There are smart people. If Jesus don't open their hearts and ears, they won't understand. They will hear, yes. They will understand what the sentence grammatically says, yes. But they will not get the truth, the true meaning that is signified by the letters on the page. Apart from God, no one can receive this gospel truth and respond with amen. We are nothing, therefore, apart from God and his gracious gift. Our knowledge of faith and our hope, everything that we know about the kingdom of heaven is entirely God's doing. And, uh, and the moving of our hearts, the opening of our hearts to receive Jesus' truth about this kingdom is also entirely God's doing. So how can we ever repay God for this great gift and this gracious thing that God has done for us? It is actually not within our capabilities to repay God for anything. It is therefore completely grace and 100% gift. But when we receive a gift, there's something we can do, right? Although we can't pay for it, we can receive with gratitude and thankfulness. So that is what we do. When we receive the word as it has been preached today, when God gives us this gospel truth of his kingdom through these three parables, which has been pronounced again to you at this moment, what we, do, what we should do is to humbly receive God's grace as a gift with thanksgiving and praise. So today, this gospel truth has once again been preached, proclaimed, and we respond in praise of God who has given us not just this message, but the actual ability for us to receive this message. We praise God not just for the gospel, but for the ears that can hear the gospel. Let us then worship God with thanksgiving, lifting our praises to God, who alone allows us to persevere in this life based on our faith in the past, present, and future of the coming kingdom of heaven. Let us praise God, who alone clothes us with righteousness and everlasting glory so that one day, we will stand with Christ, and the righteous who we are will shine like the sun. Amen.